reading from John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Welcome to Digital Church on Palm Sunday. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching with us, whether this is your first Sunday or whether you tune in every single weekend. Uh, as I've said the last couple weekends, things are going to look a little bit different around here. We don't have the band set up. Uh, we're doing some infrastructure changes in the sanctuary. Uh, we're recruiting some new volunteers, doing some new training because of all of this. So you're getting uh, the intimate service version. You're getting you and I hanging out for 22 to 25 minutes on this wonderful Palm Sunday. Um, if you are in fact new to us, why don't you just leave us a comment or email us uh, if you want to email office at yarmouthwc.com or if you're new and want to email brett at yarmouthwc.com, he will help you get connected to the life of our church way beyond this digital recording um, or just the weekend Sunday experience. And so we're glad to have you with us. Uh, also, thank you for your giving. Those who watch to the end often know there's a screen that pops up that says, this is how you can support. This is how you can give back to our good God who entrusts us with good gifts. Thank you for your giving, both in spontaneous gifts but also in the faithful, regular, weekly giving. That allows us to budget for our ministries, um, how we serve the community, and how we do missions around the world. And on that note, uh, we're recording this earlier in the week, but uh, today we will see the Sierra Leone team return home Thursday night. And for those who are in our service on Sunday, on this Palm Sunday, uh, they will be there. They're not gonna give a report just yet, uh, they will share that in the weeks to come. Many of you have asked, how did the trip go? What do they see? What are they experiencing? Hang tight. Uh, they're going to get back and have their heads and hearts swirling. And so they will share. But just give them a couple days, a couple weeks to get their bearings set, and then we will bring you great testimony. Um, also, when it comes to prayer, we are heading into Good Friday this next week. Over the last 40-some days, we haven't finished 44 days yet, but over the last 40-some days, we've had prayer rooms happening up in Barrington, around Yarmouth, at the church, and beyond. On this Thursday, April the 6th, we're going to have a gigantic open prayer room. We'll get you specific details of what time the church opens and close, but basically the prayer rooms are going to be open all day. We would love to have people coming and going praying for this Easter weekend. So keep watching for more information, but the prayer rooms that have been open will be open all day on Thursday, April the 6th. Speaking of prayer, we should pray before we dive into the word today. Jesus, we come before you today and we are thankful um, that we get to gather. And whether we are gathering digitally, whether we have gathered as one person on a phone or on a TV screen, or whether we are gathering with hundreds in the sanctuary or anything in between, whether this is our 4,000th Sunday or whether somebody's watching this for the very first time, as a good God, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Would you show us something new? And we ask and we say all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you're listening to any conversation, whether it be in the local lunchroom, whether you're in Walmart, uh, whether you're in a coffee shop, whether you're hanging out at a wharf, if you're listening, you can hear the amount of brokenness that's going on in the world. It feels like everywhere you look and everything you hear, it feels like the world's on fire. As you listen to trending stories, you hear about the horrific shooting at the Christian school in Nashville. You can hear about countries at war, governments that are fighting over freedoms, over rights, over what people can do with or what they can't do with their bodies, human trafficking realities, identity crisis, anxiety and mental health epidemic, and a health system that seems like it's being crushed at every level and the workers who are serving tirelessly to try to keep up with it all and are barely holding on themselves. It feels like everything's on fire. It feels like everything is shaking. And if you are feeling maybe a certain temptation to feel overwhelmed, I wouldn't blame you. If you feel a little tempted to be hopeless or discouraged, I wouldn't blame you. If there's any sense that may be stirring inside of you that you are tempted to throw your hands in the air and let the world just go to hell in a handbasket, I wouldn't blame you. But with all the grace and all the love I can say this, with the world on fire and shaking the way that it is, now's not the time to throw our hands up. Now's not the time to feel hopeless. Now's not the time to walk away in despair. Now is the time to actually double down. Now is actually the time to reaffirm what we believe and what we say. Throughout history, the world has been in turmoil. This is not the first time this has happened. Throughout history, we have been in crisis. We have been pressed on every side. And throughout all that history, the church has stood, has worshiped, and it has served this shaking world. In fact, the more the world shook around the church, the more the world was pressing, the more the pressure that was happening, the more the church rooted more deeply and more deeply. The more pressure they faced, the more deeply they dug down. Around 390 AD, how they expressed this firm foundation in the face of a shaking world on fire, they said it this way, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Since 390, we have stood firmly rooted in the Apostles' Creed. But 300 years before that creed was formed, the church rallied around a creed that was found in 1 Corinthians 15. Before the Apostles' Creed, we had an Apostles' Creed. We had Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. 
if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Do you hear the language there? Do you hear in the face of a world that's shaking and a world on fire, Paul say, let me remind you. Sometimes in the face of trials and persecution, we don't need something new and timely. We need something old and timeless. And Paul says, let me take you back and remind you of what you know to be true. He says, this gospel, I like the language, in which you stand. I think sometimes in the modern church, we say the gospel, we preach the gospel, and then we say, do you believe this? Do you want to accept it? It's almost like we preach the gospel and then offer the person to nod their head in mental assent, I like it, or I agree with it, or that works for me. Paul says, you stand in this. I see the, the, the frame of a building being rooted deep the foundation that goes down deep, planted firmly to handle the winds and the rains and the environment. It's like I'm rooted and I stand in this gospel that I'm reminding you. He also says that that's not clear enough. Uh, this will save you if you hold fast. You have the roots going down deep and you have the person like clinging and holding onto Jesus. Let me remind you what is of first importance. You stand in it and you cling to it, the world may shake. The world may feel hot and on fire. You may feel like you are being pressed in from every side, and Paul would say to you, let me remind you. It's the Apostles' Creed saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. Over the next few weeks, we're going to pull some lines from the Apostles' Creed. As our multiple churches, seven or eight of us at this point, gather around in a troubled and trying world and say, in the face of all of that, we're going to stand firm, we're going to hold, and we're going to be rooted so that we can serve and worship as the church has done for 2,000 years. We're going to pull apart who is this Jesus, what has he done for us, and specifically in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, buried, resurrected, and ascended. There's our Easter series, church. When Paul says, I want to remind you of first importance, this message of Christ, this Jesus, this I believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord from the Apostles' Creed, it's one thing for Paul to say, I believe in Jesus. He bumped into him. He knew him. It's not hard for me to say, I believe in Dave Hockley. Of course I do. I've seen him. I've, I know him. I've been around him. But how do you and I, in the face of all the crisis we're walking through, how do we say with the same certainty, I believe in Jesus for real, not like a comic book character, not like a fairy tale, or not like a figment of my imagination that helps me sleep at night? How do we today say, I believe in Jesus? It would become of no shock to you if I said to you one of the ways we believe in Jesus is this. We use the scriptures. We go through the four written biographical accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
We have people who watched him, who interviewed, who investigated, people who talked to eyewitnesses about this person and wrote it down. Uh, we know the, of the life of Jesus. We know the reliability of scripture. We know that we have thousands and thousands of copies of these biographies of Jesus. Whereas if you take Alexander the Great, nobody debates his existence. There's a little over a hundred copies of his biographies and accounts. Thousands about Jesus and a little over a hundred about Alexander. It's, it's not a weak or fragile thing to say. We lean on these accounts as being not just spiritual food, but historical accounts of this Jesus we believe in. But it's a little bit convenient, isn't it, for the pastor to sit here and say, I believe in Jesus and so should you because the Bible says we should. That's a little bit circular reason. It's a little bit convenient that this Bible I preach from talks with this Jesus that I want you to believe in the end. But honestly, it's not just the Bible. You go through history, just general world history, and you will find multiple historians, multiple ancient writers talking about this Jesus of Nazareth who walked on this earth. Bart Ehrman, secular agnostic historian says, Jesus certainly existed as virtually every competent scholar of antiquity, Christian or non-Christian, agrees based on certain and clear evidence. We don't believe in Jesus just because the Bible says so. We believe in Jesus because the Bible and other writings say he lived. But honestly, to have a debate that Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth is kind of a fool's errand at this point. When the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in Jesus, it's not just that they're saying, I believe in this historical person who lived and had an address and bumped into people. When Paul says, I believe in Jesus, that's not just like, I believe in a guy who lived. There's a punch and a weight behind that, that not just that he was fully man, but we believe he was fully God. When Paul brings that word, and when that Apostles' Creed, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that's where the debate comes in. Other religions will say we believe in Jesus Christ, the person, with the man, but it's this divinity that we lean into. When the world's on fire, it's not just that he was the best of us. It was that God came to us for the worst of us. When Paul said he believed in Jesus, he believed in the Jesus where scripture says that he healed the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. It's the Jesus who healed Jairus' daughter and brought her back from life, uh, brought her back from death, sorry. It's Jesus who healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. It's the same Jesus who calmed the storm in Mark chapter 4. It's the same Jesus who broke the bread and passed the fish out and fed the 5,000. It's the same Jesus who walked on water. It's this Jesus who met that woman at the well and knew her intimate details of her life upon first meeting. Yes, Paul believes in Jesus being fully man, but he believes in Jesus being fully God. It's not just the miracles that we lean into, it's the prophecies. Paul believed, and we believe, it's the Jesus that did the miracles who also fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. A couple of them that stand out to me. One of the prophecies that Israel's king will ride in on a donkey. 
he came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And from Zechariah 9.9, we see this forecast forward to Palm Sunday. We see in Isaiah that God ordained the suffering servant who would suffer and die. And Jesus walked that out thousands of years later. So when Paul says in the Apostles' Creed and the church around the world say, we believe in Jesus, yes, the man, but we also believe in Jesus being God. But there's one more punch that you see in the text that you may just kind of scan over if you're not watching carefully. When Paul says, I want to deliver to you which is of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. I find it interesting that through the first half and the majority of this chapter 15, Paul doesn't say Jesus died. He says Christ died. Read the first half of 15 and notice how many times Paul says Christ did something. His name is Jesus, but his last name is not Christ. His name is Jesus and his title is Christ. It's from that Hebrew word Messiah, that, that idea of the anointed one. And so the Bible could actually say what I received that the Messiah died. When Paul says that and writes that out, it's the same thing the woman at the well said when Jesus met her and knew everything about her. She wasn't just meeting and bumping this man, Jesus. When she talks to him and he tells her everything about her, she runs off and she says to people, I met the Christ. She does not say, I met Jesus. Meeting the man is not significant. What she says, I've met the Christ. I've met the Messiah. There's a weight to this when they say it that's not the same when we say it. They, the Jewish people, were waiting for the Messiah. We're not waiting for the Messiah. It doesn't feel as weighty for us. But when the woman at the well leaves, after waiting and waiting for this Messiah who would come, who would put Israel back on top, get them out of Rome's rule and reign. He was their guy. He was their champion. And she has this run in account with not a man, but the Messiah. So she runs off spreading the word. So when she says that, she feels like she has just bumped into the long-awaited hero for Israel. And so immediately the wheels start to spin. Immediately they start envisioning battles being won swords being drawn, scepters being held as he rules and governs Israel, putting them back on place. The, the, the narrative is this, we have been oppressed, we have been pressed down, things are not going our way, the world's on fire, we are tired of being kicked around as Israel, the world is shaking beneath our feet. But the Messiah has come and sword and scepter. And so her mind is racing. Word starts to spread. The conquering king and battle hero is here. Fast forward to John chapter 12. And then you have Jesus riding in as the long-awaited hero, the champion, the king, and the palm branches came out, the honor, the celebration. Like finally, the one we are looking for to stop the world from shaking is here. And what do they find him doing? Riding on a donkey. There's something happening in this moment where in the face of all of the trials, they have expectations for how God will stop the world from shaking, how God will put the fire out all around them. 
and he subverts their expectations. They think the world will stop shaking when the government is sorted out. They think the world will be less on fire when he fights and stretches out his authority and flexes more. Meanwhile, God has a plan to do all the things they want him to do, but the vehicle of a donkey is symbolic for how God's going to go about doing it. N.T. Wright said, Jesus came as a representative of the people, a Yahweh to bring about the end of exile, the renewal of the covenant, and the forgiveness of sins. He came to accomplish Israel's rescue to bring God's justice to the world on the back of a donkey. And all of a sudden they see in this moment that he has come for their freedom. But us sitting here today, we're not thinking back just that he came for their freedom. He's come for our freedom. When people sit in the face of crisis and trials and the world shaking, and they sing songs about my hope is in Jesus, it's not that they're burying their head in the sand to the world's reality. When people know there are crises at home, in the government, at school, in our medical system, and they come to church and worship, it's not that they're pretending those things aren't there. When people are facing anxiety and mental health and sexual identity issues and they come to church to pray and they say, I'm clinging to Jesus or I'm hoping in Jesus, it's not to say these things aren't real. In fact, what the church has done through history and what we try to do every weekend is that because the world is shaking, because the world is on fire, because this is not heaven, we stand firm and we cling to this person of Jesus because we believe, as they believed, he has come to set us free. And so church, people have rallied around the Apostles' Creed in the face of unspeakable tragedy. And they have said boldly, I believe in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul said, let me remind you of first importance. That's him and that's them. What about you today? Can you stand with the capital C church and say, in the face of my troubles and trials, I believe in Jesus Christ? Can you stand with Paul and say, the world may be hurting and broken, but the thing I hold to and I cling to and I stand in of first importance is Jesus. And because of him, I hold firm I worship freely, and I will serve this world with every ounce of energy he gives me. In the face of that, the church worships and serves. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we know the world is hurting. We refuse to bury our heads in the sand. We know people around us are bleeding and being pressed. We refuse to pretend that's not true. But Lord, we have to admit the amount of trials and troubles is absolutely overwhelming. And if we think our strength, our might, our wisdom, our structures is going to get, get us out of this, we are sorely mistaken. Jesus, would you move through your church? Would you root your church deeply in you today? Would you give us the strength by your grace to allow us to hold firmly? And would we stand 
clearly both in our living rooms at home or in the sanctuary collectively and say, we believe in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. And we say this in his name. Amen.